Underpowered Hour. On this week's show, the new Morgan Super 3, a tip-top tech tip from Nick Dimbleby, what to look for when you're buying a series Land Rover, Land Rovers on the internet, and Land Rovers in the movies. And now, here's the show. Welcome to the Underpowered Hour. I'm Stephen Barris, mild-mannered television executive by day and Land Rover collector by night. You can find out more about my cars and what we're working on at thebarriscollection.com or check us out on Instagram at thebarriscollection. I'm joined, as always, by my good friend, Ike Goss. Thank you to everyone joining us today. I'm the bent wobbling wheel to Stephen's Lane Keep Assist trademark. I'm the inadvertent lane change of podcasting, Ike I own and operate Pangolin 4x4 in Springfield, Oregon, where we live and breathe Land Rovers. Check us out online on Facebook, Instagram at Pangolin 4x4. Let's get started. All right, Ike. Well, it's been, uh, this is news that's actually a tiny bit old now, uh, but I think... I think important because as uh, I mean, I guess primarily we're a Land Rover podcast, but I think if we're anything secondarily, we are a Morgan podcast because we seem to talk about the Morgan a lot. Uh, I don't know if you had an opportunity to uh, to see the photos of our uh, very good friend and uh, contributor to the show. Mr. Nick Dimbleby uh, has taken some absolutely gorgeous as is his, uh, you know, his nature of the new Morgan Super 3 which is the the three-wheeled, you know, they're not making the old V-twin uh, anymore because I guess that motor, whatever, wherever they were sourcing it from, is not made anymore. So this is the new uh, Super 3. This is the replacement of that old car. And one that I want, maybe above all things, it is uh, every time Morgan comes out with a new car, I'm like, I really want it. One of, uh, one of our customers at the shop is uh, one of the the most preeminent Morgan collectors. And he has, uh, I don't know, maybe 30 Morgans, really nice ones. And uh, always like seeing those cars. They're pretty, pretty traditional as far as uh, their construction. Yeah. I, I really do enjoy them. Neat, neat to see. I, uh, I think uh, we got to go to the factory when we uh, visit the UK next time. Oh, for sure. And the factory tour, and I, I've seen like some YouTube videos of like drones flying through it and stuff. It it apparently like goes down a hill and like they start the cars at the top of the hill and they sort of move their way down to the bottom of the hill. It's it's It sounds like an amazing place, like a, a magical place. So uh, I, I picture it just being a lumber mill. Yeah, that's all I think is. it is in many ways, just a big lumber, a lumber mill, mill. <laughs> like a log goes in one side and a Morgan comes out the other. That's yeah, the the, the the process starts with like some dude outside the factory just like cutting down a tree with an axe. Yes. There's a, they're they're adjacent to a large wood that yeah. they've uh, they've been replanting over the over the decades. Yeah, yeah. The, the, well, first they forge the axe, and then yeah, yeah. Then they chop down the tree. It is a uh, it is a it is an incredibly vertically integrated company. Let's just let's just say, Mister Mister Morgan Senior uh, planted those first trees in the eighteen nineties, uh, and now they're they're reaping the benefit. It's English ash, I think, is what they used to make them out of. Yeah. I think they that might have changed with the uh, the ash borer. Yeah, right. With the with the great ash wars of the of the nineteen nineties, decimated the the ash population. We're yeah. building a wooden. Land Rover right now. Yeah. I, well, how is that going? I saw some, I saw like a Fender photo that you sent me the other day, which is, uh, oh man, it looks, it looks so cool. Somewhere between building like a Land Rover and like a fancy armoire really looks incredible. 
It's neat. Yeah, we're doing the the poplar mock-up, finishing that up at the moment and making all of the knives to do the profiles on the Mm -hmm. uh, various trim. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, it's it's, uh, it's a lot of work, you know, figuring out all those intersections and and, uh, construction details and where things should be reinforced and and using sort of traditional uh, wooden car methods yeah. to yeah. to make it all work together. Um, it's not really a template for that sort of thing. So it's it's a pretty fun project. So are, uh, after you're done with it, or will there be a pangolin hand-hued Amish furniture business uh, that'll, that'll sprout from this? Just just a hand-hued Land Rover business. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you can have all the wooden <laughs> Land Rovers you want. Yeah, it'd be great. It'd be great. Uh, I Duns- can't wait. Dunsfold made wait. a wooden Land Rover 107 like a model. Have you seen do. that thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, yeah, no, it's, it's amazing. It's pretty cool. It's pretty yeah. cool. I, I'm uh, a big fan of wooden Land Rovers. I mean, the the Toylander, uh, famously, is made mostly of wood. It's basically plywood, and uh, and they they look great. They're fun in the miniature Land Rovers you can drive category. We were we were talking uh, Cooper, my daughter, and I the other night about her Power Wheels Land Rover. We're like we're probably in the final year of of utility of that car as i talked about before we kind of souped it up so it goes faster now but it's just a it's just a size thing we're going to get to a point where it's not going to work anymore so we're talking about now what's the next little uh, land rover before i think the next jump after that is just the 80 inch cuz at that point you know halfway between a power wheels and a real car is the 80 inch so you know we don't have to do much but maybe maybe a toylander there's a there's a, a in between stage that you could you could do like the you know we talked briefly about the uh, Prince of Jordan right yeah so, son you know his yeah uh, yeah uh, Hussein Prince Hussein of Jordan yeah that's a, uh, a you know and 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 King Hussein of Jordan uh, huge obviously huge Land Rover fan and there's actually a what's called King Hussein's bomb hole very important to enunciate that at Eastner Castle, where they literally just blew up a big hole in the ground, and it, you drive your car down into it, and then one out of ten times you drive the car back out of it. Nine out of ten times you winch the car back out of it. But have uh, you been have you been stuck in the bung hole? I have not. I actually drove in and out of the bomb hole. Uh, no, no problems with our good friend Rob and and Chris that doesn't listen to the show. Uh, and I uh, drove <laughs> drove through there. Uh, and I I caught it on a lucky enough day where everything was just sticky enough that I could kind of you know tractor my way back up the other side. But uh, but many, many people spend many hours winching themselves out of that hole. And apparently, uh, King Hussein would come over to Eastner quite frequently. Uh, and, you know, they would they would blow things up for him and they would trench new, you know, they'd, they'd tractor through new tracks for him and stuff. And it was a, yeah, it was a, he was a big fan, huge fan of the brand. Well, I think it, it, it probably started at an early age. Yeah, exactly. With the, yeah, tiny little, tiny little yeah. Land Rover. So, so there you go. I want to know where that thing is. That thing's really neat. For those of oh, you that man, haven't seen it, I it's wonder, uh, yeah, it's I pretty wonder. impressive. It is. It is on the internet. You can see great pictures of it. It looks so cool. I mean, it just it like I want it real bad. I want it real bad. Yeah, you know, I don't know. Might have to build one. We could build a replica, possibly. We'll get the totally. original drawings. Talk to Michael Bishop. Get the drawings out of the out of the shed and uh, whip one up. You know, now that you have all these cabinet building skills, uh, maybe we can. You know, get you to whip one up. You know, maybe race car beds, Pangolin four by four uh, Land Rover race car beds. 
Uh, no, a big, no, Stephen, yeah. I'm not. I'm not making you a just Land really, Rover bed. I would really like a Land Rover race car bed, please. No. I think it's the only thing that I want. Um, so, so speaking of uh, the photos taken uh, to come full circle by uh, Mr. Nick Dibbleby, we have a uh, a tip top tech tip, and the best part about it is it's not from you or I because I think everybody is tired of that. It is from the the master himself the the maestro of car photography mr nick dimbleby this is a special one recorded on an earlier episode yeah it's a real one it's a real tech tip about uh taking a great photo of your land rover so uh we'll let nick take it away hello there i'm uh, nick dimbleby um and i have taken one or two photographs of land rovers in my time um here's a very quick top tip on um how to get the best uh picture of your land rover in a great location and that top tip is basically the location you need to find somewhere really cool to put it and um there was a time when someone said to me uh a really good car photographer said i'm not a car photographer i'm a landscape photographer i just happen to put a car in front of it so that's probably a good tip as many as i can think of is uh, is yeah just think about that background and let the car sit there nicely it's true isn't it i mean if you have an amazing if you have an amazing uh place and you just sort of put a land rover in the foreground it's gonna look amazing so i think that's a that's a worthwhile photo you know photo tip about taking a good picture of your land rover first take a good picture and then yeah. Put your Land Rover, Put your in, Land Rover in it. Yeah. yeah, it's my approach to taking uh, tasteful nude selfies. You know, find a great environment and then, um, you know, send it uh, only to you. So Yeah, yeah. And uh, for those of you at home, uh, you can Google that. Yeah, yeah, it's on there. Ike, Ike has set up a uh, fans only. Stephen Barass nudes. Yeah, it's great. It's a great play on words. I think in famous locations around the world. Yeah, um, yeah. No, it's great. I think you know it's building a following slowly, slowly but surely. The um, underpowered hour only fans account <laughs> is coming soon. It's going. It's going to be great. You just wait. It's really tasteful. We're going to take a very quick break to hear from this sponsor. And now back to the show. Um, so uh, new segment. Um, we get this question uh, all the time uh, for a variety of different models. What to look for when you're buying. And uh, this edition of what to look for when you're buying uh, is what to look for when you're buying a series, a series Land Rover. Um, and I think for most for most individuals that we get asked this question, it's really a Series 2A or a Series 3. Um, obviously, I think we could probably do a whole separate segment on buying an early Early, uh, series car 80 inch 86 inch cars that's a little different obviously because um you know there's not quite the volume of those especially here in north america that there are of the two a's and three so like what are uh some of the things that you look for uh when you are buying a series land rover because you uh just bought a bunch of, well are always let's be honest buying a bunch of series land rovers this is true um, yeah, what did you buy, and and how do you how do you how you evaluate those cars? Yeah, you know, uh, separating the wheat from the chaff, as it were, is uh, is is a process. And the more you know about the cars, and the more you educate yourself, the easier it is to do. You know, um, here in North America, the Land Rovers are are pretty spread out. It's hard to go see a, a large number of them, you know, in your local area. So that makes it difficult, and it gives rise to a situation where a lot of people are buying cars off the internet. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they want a Land Rover, they've heard, you know, that they're fun or interesting or, or unique, and um, they want one, but uh, there's not 
you know, a place locally where they can go check them out. Um, so, you know, there's a, there's a few things that you can do to, to sort of separate the wheat from the chaff. And, and some of these are, are broad generalizations and, uh, you know, I'm going to run you through a few things that I look for as, as red flags, you know, when I'm looking at cars and, uh, you know, they don't like one of those, one of those judges at the uh, Westminster dog show where you go over and lift up one of the legs and you, you sort of, yeah. Ike has a long stick that he he prods at things with. You just lift the tail and reach under there and do God knows what. At at any rate, um, you know, the, uh, the landers that you look at online, you know, they generally fall into a few categories, but, uh, I would say most of them are, are not very good Land Rovers. Um, some of the things that you can look for that, that will make a, you know, a determination, or at least they make a determination for me are, you know, if it's right-hand drive, I avoid a lot of right-hand mm-hmm. drive cars and I don't, I don't yeah. avoid it because I dislike right-hand drive. I actually don't mm-hmm. mind it at all, but uh, I would say the majority of right-hand drive vehicles come from the UK and, uh, mm-hmm. the, the vehicles that are exported from the UK are not the cream of the crop. Typically, you know, those right. are the ones that people want to get rid of. And uh, they send them to Americans because it's difficult for Americans to return them when they're bad. It's and, really uh, hard to send it back. Yeah, yeah, it's really hard to send it back. And so they have a, a long and glorious tradition of sending shitty Land Rovers to Americans. And uh, they love it. And, uh, you know, we get stuck with them. Yeah. Um, so, you know, uh, something to know about the UK, if you've never been there, it's damp, like permanently damp. Yeah, it's, like a, and, it's like a swamp. Yeah. It's always, and it's wet. an You're island surrounded wet. by salt water. So there's really not a place in England that, that, uh, the vehicle is not going to be damp and salty its entire life. And so most mm-hmm. of the landers that come out of England are, are really badly corroded. And if they've been repaired, mm-hmm. the evidence of that corrosion, the evidence of those repairs is still on the vehicle. And so yep. I think for a long time, Land Rovers, you know, despite their prevalence in the UK, they weren't well restored. You know, this in the in the eighties and the nineties, they were, mm-hmm. you know, fixed up on a on a pretty meager budget. It's only been relatively recently that people have invested a lot of money in really nice restorations. Yeah. And there are some really nice landers in the UK, but I would say most of the ones for sale online, most of the ones that you see that have already been imported from the UK are not nice vehicles. And I tend to avoid them. You know, when I see mm-hmm. that. Uh, they're from the UK. I can almost count on them having a bunch of weird stuff. Uh, theft is also really common in the UK with Land Rovers. Like Land Rovers are frequently stolen there, parted out, or shipped overseas. And so you got to be careful with possibly getting a stolen one. And the other thing that happens is a lot of anti-theft equipment is often fitted mm-hmm. to Land Rovers there. And some of it's ridiculous. It's like steel boxes that clamp to the pedals and, you know. Yeah, the mailbox that goes around the, the like the, 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 the post office box that p- clamps around your pedals is, is yeah. always fun. It's it's insane. It really is. And uh, like I ended up with a Land Rover from the UK and it had four separate alarm systems on it. Like just in case like <laughs> the thief like disabled three, there would be a redundant fourth system to, to make your neighbors go crazy. And uh, it had mm-hmm. like pressure switches on the hood and like switches on the doors and like, and it's a military series two a. And so it's just got <laughs> wiring everywhere and like, like uh, all these speakers for the alarms and like it's constantly beeping and it's, it was terrible. So, you know, those are some of the things that you can look at. Um, you know, if you're just looking at some photos online, you're like right-hand drive, 
probably not a not a good yeah. one unless you've got some other you know information about it but uh, i would say uh, you know 99 out of 100 trucks yeah. from the uk are not worth owning and then the other thing you look for is uh trucks from south america or, or santanas mm-hmm. you know that's another thing mm-hmm. to look out for the, you know the the real early Santanas are not bad. They're they're really similar to their British counterparts. So those late fifties mm-hmm. and early sixties Land Rovers, they're virtually identical to um, the British product. It's just a CKD basically built under license in Spain. Yep. It, and and those cars are are fine. And and Spain is a much better climate, generally speaking, mm-hmm. than the UK and their left hand drive. So. Mm-hmm. Those cars are maybe a little better, but it's difficult to separate those early Santanas from their later Santana counterparts. And and for a lot of people, that really affects the value. Those Santana cars, you know, as they progress forward in time, they start to diverge more and more from their British-made counterparts. And they get weird. Mm-hmm. You know, they they lose their yeah. scuttle vents the and they late, get fiberglass the late, tops. Like, series three uh, is so weird. It's so different. In fact, series there's four. actually the really the yeah series four. The late ones are kind of interesting because it's like Santana kept developing yes. the car when mm-hmm. Land Rover sort of stopped. And yeah. so there's a lot of things on there where you think like, well, this is probably something Land Rover would have done if yes. they didn't sort of, well, kind of abandon the series cars and, and move towards Defender. Um, yeah. And then finally, even with Defender, just sort of stop, like stop innovating. Sure. No, absolutely. And, uh, you know, some of those things that Santana did are are neat. You know, they they made uh, good quality parabolic springs. They made their own overdrive. They upgraded the transmission. Mm-hmm. They, they did, you know, a six-cylinder two and a quarter based engine, you know, they did a lot of neat stuff, but uh, the problem with all of those cars is parts availability. So as they start to diverge from the British models, you know, the, the amount of locally made content increases. And so like all the electrical system is totally different. A lot of the mechanical stuff starts to be different. You know, they have funky axles, um, but they Mm -hmm. have like interesting things like disc brakes and, you know, they have power steering, but uh, you know, as those vehicles start to become, you know, 40, 50 years old, it starts to be hard to maintain those and uh, difficult to get parts because they weren't produced in the volumes that the Land Rover product was and and certainly not with yeah. the eye to spare parts interchangeability that the, the standard series has. So, you know, those Santanas, they can make a good vehicle, but their resale value is is hampered by that and sort of a reputation for, you know, being difficult to get parts for. Um, and being problematic to, to maintain. So, you know, I would say as a general rule, avoid the Santanas and, and the South Mm -hmm. American cars, you know, they can, they can be okay, I suppose, but, um, they tend to be repaired, uh, in a, you know, workmanlike way, you know, they are, they're repaired with what's available. And so, uh, you know, some of those cars exist because of the ingenuity of some of these local mechanics, but that ingenuity, you know, breeds some repairs that, it, it, you know, it makes it really difficult to, to put it back to standard or put it back to stock. So you get some cars that come out of South America. We, we have them come through the shop periodically and, and like everything has changed like subtly, you know, and in <laughs> one instance, the, the steering relay had been damaged. So they welded the steering shaft of another, car i don't know what kind to uh the relay arm and that was welded and then back to the land rover um tie rod ends and so you've got this situation where if you want to fix it you know you have to 
you have to fix like three or four things. Yeah. And, and that happens a lot. So they put like a different carburetor on it. And so mm -hmm. then you've got to change the throttle linkage and you've got to change the vacuum advance line and you've got to change the fuel line and the, you know, the intake and the air cleaner. And so somebody comes to you with a Land Rover and it's got a worn out carburetor and it's off of some South American only Citroen, you know, Mahari yeah. or whatever. And then you're like, well, yeah. if I, if I put the Land Rover carburetor back on it, I have to change all these other things. Yeah. And so, yeah. so changing the carburetor suddenly goes from being like $500 to like $2,000. So, yeah. you know, cars that come out of South America, I typically avoid them for that reason. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when you're looking at a specific example, you can kind of rule those things out. If you're asking a, a seller for photographs, ask them for pictures of the dash, the engine bay and underneath the car. And then look yeah. for rust, look for previous repairs, look for non-standard items. You can find photos mm -hmm. of like how the dash should look, how the engine bay should look online. And uh, we can post up some of those pictures on yeah. our Instagram and you guys can check out like what should it look like? Because after 60 years, so many things have been changed and it's really difficult unless you have re that reference to know what's right and what's wrong. And some of those things that you might have to replace to, to make it right are expensive. So yeah, for sure. Well, and there's great, uh, great reference material, uh, great books that are out there. You can go on Amazon and look at, uh, you know, the sort of the complete history of the series two, the complete history of the series three, and they have, you know, really great high quality. I'm a big fan of, of, you know, books as well. You can, you know, you can, really get a sort of definitive kind of thing and and it's a fun thing to have with the car too you know kind of I think it. I mean you bring up a good point about having reference material I mean certainly there's some things online you know some reference that you can find there but uh Lander actually has really exceptional technical literature and uh mm -hmm. the parts catalog and uh the owner's manual and the mm -hmm. um workshop manual are actually really good and and even if you haven't bought a Land Rover yet those are really good publications to have in yeah. advance of owning one. You know, you can read through those, see how things are supposed to look, how they're supposed to be assembled, you know, how things are supposed to go together. And that will give you a really good sense of what you're looking at when you see a car for sale. Yeah, yeah. And James Taylor does a great, uh, he's probably the the one of the leading authorities on the like complete history of the X vehicle. And he's really good about pointing out like, this is the factory spec. This is, this option was available in these regions. And, and the books aren't expensive. These are not huge. I mean, you're talking about buying a vintage Land Rover. So if you're afraid of buying a $50 uh, book, then, you know, perhaps just, uh, perhaps a, uh, you know, a Daihatsu Taft or something would be a better choice. Those, uh, those books are, um, I think James's books are pretty well researched in general, yeah. but um, they, they have a few things that are, are not, you know, totally 100% accurate, but as a, as a primer, as a guide for the beginner, they're pretty good. Yeah. yeah. They, and they have a lot of photos, reference photos. And he's also good. a great folk musician, you know, I mean, what a diverse That's, individual. I, I hate to break it to you, but I, I think Stephen, that that is a different fellow. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure it's the same guy, right? I, I'm pretty sure it's He's a gone into guy. a secondary career of Land Rover research. I'm I'm pretty sure it's a different it feels guy. Feels right. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I, uh, hmm. Yeah. Oh, well, agree to disagree. I guess. Um, yeah. I I I, I think you're you're right though. The pictures that people post, especially online, um, they always forget the important bits underneath the doors. Uh, you know, things like that. Especially, and I often have to have like a friend who may not be a Land Rover expert, but simply maybe in the city that a car that I'm looking at is sort of go and then uh, you know I'll give them a list of things I'd like them to take pictures of for me, um, you know, the things that I would look at when it was there. The one 
the one issue, and I don't know how you get around this, like, but the one issue is, uh, you know, how do you how do you test drive a car? Because you learn so much from a car, taking yeah. it even just driving it around the block. It's true. Um, you know, what do you do when you can't? Obviously, if you can be there with that car, you can feel the transmission. You can feel how the you know the gear changes go. If you have an opportunity to quickly lift it up in the air a little bit, you can wiggle the tires up and down. See if you've got you know hubs that are about to fall off, things like that. But if you're not there, what are you? You know, what are you doing if you can't drive the car? You know, that's a, that's a great question, and uh, sometimes it can be difficult to ascertain the mechanics condition. And I think that something that's really helpful is if you can call the owner on the phone Mm -hmm. and ask the right questions of the owner. Ask them, hey, have you done a compression test? Or how many miles have you put on this car? If they're like, I don't really drive it that much. Or if they say like, I haven't driven it very often, or, you know, then you kind of get a sense of maybe it's not drivable because it doesn't drive very good. Yeah. And then if you get a sense of like, yeah, I've taken it on some trips and you know, I've had a life change or, you know, I'm moving or I'm getting divorced or whatever. And Mm -hmm. that's the reason for selling. So asking them why they're selling it and uh, you know, how they used it and, you know, try to get a sense of what kind of condition it's in. So if somebody has been driving it a lot, you know, taking it on trips and, you know, using it uh, pretty extensively, chances are you probably got a car that's going to, it's going to be okay. You know, but uh, yeah, it's unlikely it's, you're doing that if second gear is completely inoperable. You know, yeah, it's, it's un- not impossible, but unlikely. And, and you kind of get a feel for you know if you chat with a few different people about their cars, you know what you know makes sense and what doesn't make sense, and and start to ask people, hey, have you maybe have you done a compression test check on it recently? You know, does it have a lot of play in the steering? You know, you start to get a little specific if you can get an owner that is willing to answer those questions or is knowledgeable about it. And that'll really help. Mm-hmm. That'll really help. But so many people just buy them off of eBay or bring a trailer and then they get the car and they're like totally disappointed because there's, you know, this yeah. dialogue between the buyer and seller just doesn't happen there. I mean, to yeah. a limited extent, you know, maybe you'll exchange a couple emails, maybe you'll get a couple of extra photos. Yeah. If you find yourself in a position where you like, you really like this car and like everything seems to check out, you know, consider that the vehicle is just everything that you can't see, just consider that it's in yeah. bad condition, you know, <laughs> and then pay it's, a, it's no good. Yeah. Assume that it's no good and then just pay according to that. And you might not get, you know, you might not get 10 cars, but maybe you'll get that 11th car. And that's, yeah. you know, just be persistent, ask yeah. questions, you know, um, do your research, talk to other enthusiasts, you know, that I think that really helps get a sense for what's right and what's wrong. But uh, sometimes really good cars sell for not very much, and sometimes yep. terrible cars sell for a lot. Speaking of terrible cars that are selling for a lot, have you seen that uh, green uh, Series 2A wagon that's for sale online right now? I have seen the, the oh, green 2A man. wagon. It is uh, a, you know, it's actually like a great study. We may even post a link, although I don't necessarily want to steer people towards it, but uh, it, it is worth looking at as a study of all of the things to look for in a car that has yeah. gone so very wrong. Uh, oh, starting with the amazing. fact that the hood sits, you know, uh, open by a good inch and a half, uh, 
possibly two inches. Yeah. All, all it's, the time. yeah. I mean, yeah. here's a car that is, is described as being amazingly and lovingly restored. You know, a, a yeah. red flag in, in any advertisement for a car is like when they start talking about the history of the mark and like how mm-hmm. Land Rovers have like roamed the wild places of the earth and all this stuff, <laughs> but it doesn't tell you anything about the specific car. Nine yeah. times out of 10, that car yeah. is overpriced or is a terrible car. And in yeah. this particular instance, uh, they describe it as having been, you know, restored and modified by like, mm-hmm. you know, a high end professional shop in Southern mm-hmm. California. Mm-hmm. And uh, they, it has an LS motor in it and it has, sure. um, yeah. I can't remember what transmission it has in it, but uh, mm-hmm. has disc brakes and it has mm-hmm. power steering and it has mm-hmm. all of these features that people really want in a car. Mm-hmm. And uh, the the pictures are are sort of at sunset, and they're like definitely, they're definitely intending lower. They're lower light than you'd probably, yeah. you'd probably want. Yeah, it's like an old pornographic film where the lady's like not that good looking and soft photography. I once traded in a completely bombed out car, literally in the middle, almost the middle of the night. We went at the very last second of the day to just dump this car on the dealer, uh, and it's like I feel very much like it's in the same thing. Like that puddle underneath it, that was there before we got there. We just parked in a puddle. That's all. It's nighttime. Just let's go. You guys want to go. Yeah. yeah, when you when you yeah. look at the photographs of this car, you're like, it's presented pretty well, and and they have like yeah. a several paragraphs talking about how wonderful this car is, how yeah. incredible it is, and uh, how it's been part of this amazing you know collection by this high end collector and so forth. Yeah. Yeah. And you start to look at the pictures, and you're like, it doesn't look quite right. That's and then right. you look a little more, and then you yeah. just keep seeing things that oh. are terrible. And so on That's this particular shit. example, like there's a few pictures of underneath the car, and like. The welds that hold the power steering on are just real bad, real bad, really bad. And real the the hood doesn't quite close, and the body doesn't line up, and you know it's got a lot of like dents and bondo, and you oh, know yeah. all this stuff. But you know, I guess on the bright side for this particular car, they're only asking a hundred and ninety thousand dollars. <laughs> Yeah, it's worth every cent. I'll tell you what, that LS, uh, you know, that's uh, it's a $180,000 LS uh, motor in a uh, in a $10,000 Land Rover. Even a $10,000 Land Rover, that's being very generous. So I- I wouldn't pay that because I think it would probably kill you if you drove it. You know, that's a murder wagon for sure. I mean, you know, here's the thing. I, you know, I have mixed feelings, uh, you know, on the, and and obviously Joe, um, with the LS swapping defenders and series twos and things are talking about that. Um, I, I think if you go from the ground up and you build the cars, uh, you know, uh, people do that certainly. And there's, there's a sort of right way to kind of get away with it. I know, uh, you know, a good, good friend of Liza's has an LS swapped, uh, one, it's a Santana 110, but it's amazing. I mean, it was, I think the car did cost about $180,000 to do it, mm-hmm. but it was done absolutely properly. Like, I mean, you know, that's maybe not my thing. If I had every other Land Rover in the world, would I want one? Sure, it's super fun. Um, but I've also driven ones that are like death machines. They don't stop. They don't turn. Sure. Uh, you know, they go really fast in a straight line, which is almost worse than if they didn't, uh, you know, because it you can't stop them. You can't turn them. And yeah. yeah, I just don't know. I mean, I you know, some people are into it, but man, sometimes they're just, uh, you know, really feels dangerous to be anywhere near it. You got to be careful with converted vehicles. There's very few of them that are done well. And, uh, you know, by and large, most of them have not been done well. The, you know, the yeah. welding is, is typically not 
up to a high standard and uh, driveline angles and vibrations and, and yeah. these sorts of things that a uh, converted vehicles suffer from frequently. It, you know, I'm not against conversions. I just think that most of mm-hmm. them are not well thought out or well done. Yep. And this is a great example of that. I think I've, I've seen one, one good one. And I've seen more than one. Yeah, so, you know, maybe add that to the <laughs> list of red flags, you know, that it, it invites closer scrutiny to the, those vehicles yeah. for sure. Well, I think that's uh, that's super helpful. And uh, I think, uh, you know, we'll continue this series of uh, what to look for. Uh, we'll go through some of the newer cars. Maybe we will circle back to the 80-inch, uh, the early, the very early cars, sort of what to look for there for those individuals interested in that. Uh, but speaking, speaking of, of uh, janky, uh, ass Land Rovers on the internet. Let's talk about some non-janky-ass uh, Land Rovers on the internet in a, a new segment that we're calling Land Rovers on the internet. Um, interesting Instagram accounts, YouTube channels that uh, that you should uh, check out because they're, they've been around for a long time and are cool or they're fairly new and have some uh, neat content. So this week, um, two Instagram accounts that I find... Uh, of course, in addition to uh, Pangolin 4x4, the greatest Land Rover Instagram account of all time. Um, <laughs> the, uh, you know, Island Rovers. I don't know if you're familiar, Ike, with uh, Conrad out there in the island of Jersey. Not Jersey. Uh, not New Jersey, but original Jersey. Um, uh, the island of Jersey. Uh, he has a, a great uh, Instagram account and YouTube channel and actually some really neat gear and uh, and stuff on his uh, website and does some great Insta360 videos, some some fun YouTube reels and things like that. And you can find Conrad's stuff at Island Rovers uh, on Instagram. And uh, yeah, he's super fun. He's got, I, I really like his spirit. He's got a, a 5180 inch. He has a number of different... Uh, uh, classic uh, defenders as well as you know he's done some stuff with a new defender and has a supercharged range rover lots lots of stuff and, and interesting does some adventuring stuff and it's a pretty cool channel neat i'll have to check that one out and then uh, and uh, land rover sophie i don't know if you're familiar with land rover sophie but she is uh, in the uk and is uh, restoring a uh, a discovery a two-door discovery uh, amongst other things she has a series three she also has a defender uh also has a youtube channel land rover sophie where she is sort of learning the process of land rover restoration process art curse whatever you want to call it of uh, of land river restoration it does some really cool stuff and and it's it hers is a fun account because she's just sort of figuring some of this stuff out um and isn't a long-standing master restoration shop in germany that knolls out all their parts like it's a lego set um but instead is sort of uh very much a backyard uh, sort of mechanic restoration, which I think is is probably um, a lot more like a lot of people are doing. I'm looking at it right now, and uh, you know, she actually has an engine laid out like a bunch of Legos, and it's an Aston Martin V12. So she was a she was a, a an undertaker's assistant or something at some point, but always loved Land Rovers and decided that she was going to start restoring one, and now I believe works as a as a mechanic uh, of some kind. I really would love to have her on the show. Actually, she seems like a super fun person to talk to, and uh, I would love to know the transition from uh, undertaker's assistant to uh, Land Rover uh, mechanic because maybe I can do the the transition the other way. I've always been interested in uh, the mortuary sciences. So that sounds like uh, you know you're cursed by something. Like you're you're working on a 
a corpse and you're cursed and then you end up restoring Land Rovers for the rest of your life. Like, do something wrong. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, it was like a gypsy that she was restoring. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You've done something wrong. Monkey's paw situation, I think, yeah, yeah. is the most likely what's Definitely uh, get a you know, curse that happened. you have to live with. Well, I'm sorry for her. And then, you have uh, to live with that. Yeah, it's it's too bad. <laughs> you know, maybe the Undertaker thing isn't completely out of the picture. Maybe she can always circle back <laughs> to that. Uh, I'm sure much more lively uh, set of clientele there. Um, and for those people who haven't seen the the trailer fitters toolbox or Land Rover toolbox uh, videos on YouTube, those are uh, those are classics. And uh, that guy is a ton of fun. And the uh, in the old British tradition of sort of. Uh, you know, uh, bodging together your uh, land for wheel hubs or something. His videos are great. I've always, I've always enjoyed those. So, uh, if you have a an interesting Instagram account uh, or you have a YouTube channel that you really love, why not? Drop into our DMs over on Your Majesty's Instagram and uh, let us know, and we'll check it out, and we'll uh, we'll talk about it uh, here on the show, and uh, and try to get that uh, Land Rover magic uh, spread uh, all over, liberally like uh, wheel bearing grease, all over uh, the inside of Instagram. Uh, Cooper and I were uh, were greasing wheel bearings for the uh, the Defender recently, and she's decided that uh, wheel bearing greasing is not something she really enjoys doing, but uh, she did one, and it was you know we got her gloves on, and she was. She was doing it. I have, uh, you know, like the greasing cone so that, uh, you know, it's a little bit, it's a little bit more efficient when you're doing mini, mini, mini wheel bearings uh, than, uh, than packing them by hand. But it's still very goopy. And there's a, you know, there's a little colonoscopy kind of action going on when you're taking that bearing is, out of there. Is and, that uh, why you're so excited you know, about it? Yeah, it's, I enjoy it. I have to say, you know, it's one of my favorite, uh, <laughs> it's one of my favorite activities. I don't know if you uh, listeners at home know this, but uh, one time I went to Stephen's shop and I caught him creasing wheel bearings with his tongue. That's what I do. Yep. It's a special <laughs> biodegradable. That's, that's my special technique. My special technique. <laughs> like magic. Like magic. I'll you, tell you, don't knock until you tried it. Um, so uh, to, to end off uh, this uh, rousing uh, week uh, of uh, the underpowered uh, hour, uh, Land Rovers uh, in the movies. Uh, this is actually one I, I haven't uh, seen um, but a an actor who is without question a huge fan of the Land Rover, and an actor without question that I am a huge fan of, uh, Mister uh, the Steve McQueen. Uh, never so few uh, a film with uh, with uh, with uh, Richard Bronson and uh, and uh, Frank Sinatra. Charles no? is, is he not Charles Bronson? The, uh, Charles Bronson. Charles <laughs> Bronson. Frank Frank Sinatra. <laughs> Charles <laughs> Bronson. Frank Sinatra. Gina Lola Brigida. <laughs> You're terrible. Oh. At any rate, uh, yeah, yeah, this is a this is a classic film. It's a it's a war movie, and uh, it's an early Steve McQueen movie. And yeah. uh, he he plays a you know rowdy go getter. And uh, in this particular yes, movie, there's does. a very interesting Land Rover that they drive, and it's it's featured on uh, some of the movie posters. And it's a it, if you look closely, it's an eighty inch. It's but it's been stretched. Mm-hmm to like maybe a uh, hundred and six inches or something like that. And it has like a, a, almost maybe a wooden body on the back. It's a, uh, it's, hmm. it's pretty neat. It's a pretty interesting car. It, it sort of predates. Why, the, why did they stretch it? What was the purpose of stretching it? I don't know the answer to that. I don't know that it was stretched hmm. for the film. It may have been stretched at oh, a time before Land Rover actually offered a pickup mm. or a long wheelbase model. And so they're like, oh, well, I we want a Land Rover, but we also want it to be long wheelbase. So we're going to stretch it. So uh, it has oh, some interesting cool. body work. It, shows, it appears in the movie a few times. Um, pretty neat. And it's in some classic Hollywood, uh, you know, heavyweights in that film. Yeah. 
course, Charles Bronson, Richard Bronson's uh, brother. <laughs> Richard a lot of people Branson. don't know that. A lot of people don't know Richard that. Richard right Branson. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Ridiculous. Charles Bronson is Richard Branson's uh, brother. A lot of people don't know that. Uh, a lot of people don't know that. But, um, but I, you know, at some point, like, we might want to do like a, a Steve McQueen episode. Obviously, uh, you know, you yeah. own one of Steve McQueen's Land Rovers. And Steve McQueen is not just a big fan of Land Rovers. But most of his movies have Land Rovers in them, I think, probably Several. because he is such a big fan um and uh and just a great uh, guy so maybe we'll do a we'll do an underpowered hour movie night and uh and we'll talk uh we'll, we'll record a podcast and you can watch one of steve mcqueen's movies with our podcast in the background just like mystery science theater it's gonna be fantastic <laughs> it's gonna be fantastic maybe we'll live stream it and we'll get in huge trouble from the steve mcqueen estate we'll be sued out of existence that would be a fun way to go out uh and uh and probably appropriate given the content overall of uh, of this uh, show. So, uh, Ike, as we come to a close here again, uh, check out the Underpowered Hours store. We've got some uh, new stuff uh, going up there, some really cool, really cool stuff coming up very soon, some neat collaborations with some of your favorite uh, Land Rover people. Um, check us out on, uh, again, our Her Majesty's Instagram, where uh, we're rolling along there, as always, uh, the greasy wheel bearing of Instagram, as, uh, as always, and uh, you YouTube. If you were interested in, uh, you know, in, in staring at Ike and I uh, while you uh, listen to this, um, I don't know who would want to do that. But if you do, um, you know, please head on uh, over there. Uh, we've got some uh, we've got uh, stuff going up there and, and some new stuff coming up there pretty soon uh, as well. And as always. If you would like to get some exciting extras like uh, Ike and I's workshop uh, vlogs, um, which are uh, on the uh, Patreon, uh, head on over there and become a patron and uh, get ad-free episodes as well as uh, special content uh, and even even some special contests. That's some true. Very That's true. exciting draws. You'll get to see items. Steven greasing a wheel bearing. <laughs> <laughs> wheel bearing wheel bearing techniques techniques for greasing <laughs> your wheel bearings um it is uh you know it's an acquired uh, sort of art but once you get on it you know it's the it's it's about the right amount of like uh of squeeze pressure to make sure that you uh, hard appropriately pass. fill in the gaps you know, hard pass you know. Not okay. Well, you know, it's up to you. You know, so uh, <laughs> unfortunately, we have, uh, due to the uh, amount of wheel bearing greasing content in this episode, uh, run out of time uh, to talk about uh, the greasy wheel bearing of uh, Piri Piri Chicken Nando's. Uh, so we're going to have to skip the review this episode and get to that uh, in the near future. Here, we apologize to the fine people at Nando's again this week uh, for not getting to that. And uh, in the meantime, Ike, uh, keep it between the ditches and uh, good luck out there and. And uh, we'll see you uh, next week. All right, Stephen, see you on the trail. Take care. The Underpowered Hour is produced by me, Steve Barris, and Ike Goss. Pavel Svartov composed and performed our theme music. Consider supporting the show on Patreon. And if you already do, thank you. Your support makes the show possible. For even more, check out our Instagram or Facebook. Facebook. 